On today's episode, we're getting into one of Grimm's Fairy Tales' all-time classics. That's right, it's time for Cinderella. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how folktales and fairy tales were way more fun back before they got cleaned up and made more family-friendly. We don't need family-friendly, we just want a good story, and these old, dark, chaotic, insane folktales are just the ticket. So today's episode features a classic, Cinderella. Not gonna waste any time up top, let's get right into it. And then at the very end of the episode, I'll adapt it into a tale for the modern age. Let's begin. Once upon a time, there was a rich man who lived happily with his wife for a long time, and they had one little girl together. Then the wife became ill, and as she became deathly ill, she called her daughter and said, Dear child, I must leave you, but when I am up in heaven, I shall look after you. Plant a little tree on my grave, and whenever you wish for something, shake it, and you'll have what you wish." And whenever you are otherwise in a predicament, then I'll send you help. Just stay good and pure. Interesting. I don't remember any telling of Cinderella where we actually start with the mom and the the family beforehand. We always just start with Cinderella in this terrible situation with these awful stepmother and step-siblings. So we get a little little bit of taste of her mom beforehand, and there's this whole thing with planting a tree on the grave. Don't remember that ever before either. Bit concerning that the mom is kind of making it conditional that she'll help her if she stays good and pure. It's going to be a very anxious child making sure she stays on on the right path so that her dead mom keeps granting her wishes. We will see how this develops. We continue. After she said this, she closed her eyes and died. Her child wept and planted a little tree on her grave and didn't need to water it, for her tears were good enough. Oh, God. The snow covered the mother's grave like a little white blanket, and by the time the sun had taken it off again and the little tree had become green for the second time, the man had married a second wife. However, the stepmother already had two daughters from her first husband. They had beautiful features, but proud, nasty, and wicked hearts. After the wedding had now been celebrated, and all three entered the house, a difficult time began for the poor child. "'What's this terrible and useless thing doing in our rooms?' the stepmother said. "'Off with you into the kitchen. Whoever wants to eat bread must first earn it. She can be our maid.' Had she not met the daughter prior to marrying the husband? Why is this a shock here? The stepsisters took away her clothes and dressed her in an old gray smock. You look good in that, they said, while mocking her and leading her to the kitchen, where the poor child had to do heavy work. She had to get up before dawn, carry the water into the house, make the fire, cook, and wash. Meanwhile, her sisters did everything imaginable to cause her grief and make her look ridiculous. They poured peas and lentils into the ashes of the hearth, so she had to sit there the entire day and separate them. In the evening, when she was tired, there was no bed for her, and she had to lie next to the hearth in the ashes. 
Since she always rummaged in dust and looked dirty, they named her Cinderella. All these stories where there's a wicked stepmother and step-siblings, where's the dad? Why isn't the dad putting a foot down here? They're treating this daughter like, hey, could you not treat my daughter like garbage? Let these evil step-siblings and step-people just run wild. At a certain time, the king decided to organize a magnificent ball that was to last three days. And his son was supposed to choose a bride at this event. The two proud stepsisters were also invited to it. Cinderella, they called to her, come up here. Comb out our hair, brush our shoes, and fasten our buckles. We're going to see the prince at the ball. Cinderella worked hard and cleaned and brushed as well as she could. However, the stepsisters continually scolded her, and when they had finished dressing, they asked her in a mocking tone, Cinderella, wouldn't you like to go to the ball? Oh yes, Cinderella replied, but how can I go? I don't have any clothes. No, said the older daughter. That's all we need for you to show up there. If the people heard that you were our sister, we'd be ashamed. You belong in the kitchen, where there's a bowl full of lentils. When we return, they must be sorted, and take care that we don't find a bad one among them. Otherwise, you know what will happen to you. What's going to happen to her? Are they going to beat her? They've never said before that they, like, abused her in any way. They just made her go through these lentils and peas. A bit obscure in terms of some type of punishment or cruelty. But hey, I guess you had to get weird with it in the olden times when you were trying to make someone's life terrible. After the stepsisters left and Cinderella stood there and looked after them, and when she could no longer see them, she went sadly into the kitchen and shook the lentils onto the hearth, and they formed a very large pile. So they didn't even do it that time. They just told her to shake out the lentils into the ash, and she just she did it herself. That is even sadder. It's one thing for them to like pour the bowl of peas into the ashes, but for her to do it herself and then have to pick them out. I don't know, maybe they like the taste of ashy peas? Is that a thing? Because otherwise, this is pretty pointless. You could have her do, like, useful things around the house. But no, sort through these peas. Oh, she sighed and said, I'll have to sort them until midnight, and I won't be able to shut my eyes no matter how much they may hurt. If my mother knew about this. Oh yeah, her mother. She can make a wish and shake the tree. Why has she not thought to do this yet? And she's now even... Remembering her mother, but she's not doing anything with the tree. Her mother gave her a way of solving problems, like, anything you need, I'll take care of it. Which begs the question, is her mother magical of some kind? It's a pretty big promise to make your kid before you die. Like, I'll solve all your problems, even when I'm dead, if you just shake this tree that's on my grave. Unless you actually have some magical ability and can make good on that, that's setting a pretty, a pretty cruel expectation that your kid will be able to have all their problems solved by, by shaking your tree. But in any event, Cinderella hasn't even attempted this, so we don't know. Then she knelt down in the ashes in front of the hearth and wanted to begin sorting. All at once, two white pigeons flew through the window and landed next to the lentils on the hearth. They nodded with their little heads and said, Cinderella, would you like us to help you sort the lentils? Yes answered Cinderella. The good ones for the little pot, the bad ones for your little crop. 
It's a quote that apparently they said as they sorted through the lentils. And peck, 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 they began and ate the bad ones and let the good ones remain. And in a quarter of an hour, the lentils were so clean that there was not a bad one among them, and Cinderella could smooth them out in the little pot. Now the pigeon said to her, Cinderella, if you want to see your sisters dance with the prince, then climb up to the pigeon coop. Why is there a pigeon coop? What are they doing with pigeons? They're like sending messages? Cinderella followed them and climbed to the top of the ladder of the pigeon coop and could see the ballroom from there. Indeed, she could see her sisters dance with the prince, and a thousand chandeliers glittered and glistened before her eyes. How close is she to the castle? She can literally see her sisters dancing with the prince and recognize that they're her sisters. She's got to be in like the backyard of the castle. After she had seen enough, she climbed down the ladder. Her heart was heavy, and she laid herself down in the ashes and fell asleep. Sleep on the floor, not the ashes. Just like go a little ways away. So you're on the, the normal floor. It's just unnecessarily sad at that point. I don't know, maybe the ashes, there's like a little layer of them and it's softer. It's still sad, but I guess that's some logic behind it. The next morning, the two sisters went into the kitchen and when they saw that Cinderella had cleanly sorted the lentils, they were angry because they would have liked to have scolded her. Since they couldn't do that, they began to tell her about the ball and said, Cinderella, that was so much fun, especially the dance. The prince, who's the most handsome in the world, led us out onto the dance floor and one of us will become his bride. Yes, Cinderella said, I saw the chandeliers glimmer. That must have been splendid. What? How did you manage that? The eldest sister asked. I climbed up to the pigeon coop. When the sister heard this, she was filled with jealousy and she immediately ordered the pigeon coop to be torn down. Well, that's just totally nonsensical. If there's a pigeon coop to begin with, it must be of some use, and you're literally destroying it just because your sister could see you doing having a good time? What are you jealous of? You're the one having a good time. You're jealous that she can see you have... It makes no sense. Also, she might be doing Cinderella a favor here. It's just torturous to be able to see... What's going on at the castle? Your sister's having a great time while you're stuck sorting through lentils in ash. We continue. Now, Cinderella had to comb and clean again, and the youngest sister, who had a little sympathy in her heart, said, Cinderella, when it turns dark, you can go to the ball and look in through the windows. Can she? Would, do you think the guards would even allow that? Also, it's odd that they're going out of their way to say that one of the sisters is kind of nice, but not nice enough to put a stop or help Cinderella in any other way. No, said the eldest, that will only make her lazy. Here's a sack of sweet peas, Cinderella. Sort the good from the bad and work hard. If you don't have them sorted cleanly by tomorrow, then I'll spill them all into the ashes and you'll have to starve until you've fished them out of the ashes. Let's get a little more creative. It's just the same thing. It's just peas and lentils all the time. If you put Cinderella to good use, she could be building an entire extension to this house with all the time she's spending just sorting through ashy peas. Cinderella sat down on the hearth in distress and poured the peas out of the sack. Again, her doing it herself is just so much sadder. Then the pigeons flew into the kitchen once again and asked in a friendly way, 
Cinderella, do you want us to sort the peas? Yes. And again they sang their little song, The good ones for the little pot, the bad ones for your little crop. Are the two pigeons the little crop? I don't really understand what they mean by little crop. In any event, peck, 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 it all went so quickly as if twelve hands were there. And when they were finished, the pigeons said, Cinderella, do you want to go and dance at the ball? Oh my god, she cried out. But how can I go there in my dirty clothes? Go to the little tree on your mother's grave, shake it, and wish for clothes. However, you must return before midnight. So Cinderella went to the grave, shook the little tree, and spoke. Shake and wobble, little tree, let beautiful clothes fall down to me. No sooner had she said all this than a splendid dress lay right before her along with pearls, silk stockings, silver slippers, and everything else that belonged to her outfit. Cinderella carried everything into the house, and after she had washed herself and dressed herself, she was as beautiful as a rose washed by the dew. When she stepped outside, a carriage stood there, drawn by six black horses adorned with feathers. There were also servants dressed in blue and silver who helped her inside. Then off they galloped to the king's castle. So finally, she has made use of her mother's offer of, or I don't know what you call it exactly, saying that she'll be able to solve any problem if she just shakes the tree. Think bigger, though. Not just give me some clothes so I can go to the ball some type of solution for your terrible life. Think of some avenue to ask for, for money or some way of escaping these terrible step-siblings and stepmother. Think bigger, Cinderella. Think bigger. When the prince saw the carriage come to a halt before the gate, he thought that a strange princess from afar had come traveling to the ball. So he himself went down the stairs, helped Cinderella out of the carriage, and led her into the ballroom. And when the glitter of the four thousand chandeliers fell upon her, she was so beautiful that everyone there was amazed. And the sisters also stood there and were annoyed that some other young lady was more beautiful than they. Four thousand chandeliers is a ton. However, they didn't think in the least that it might be Cinderella, who was presumably at home in the ashes. Now the prince danced with Cinderella and showed her royal honor. As he danced, he thought to himself, I'm supposed to choose a bride, and I know she's the only one for me. Do they talk at all? Should at least, like, get to know one another. I don't like when they're just like, oh, this person's beautiful, so they're in love now. Let's have some personality. It's setting unrealistic expectations. Let's get some personality connection. On the other hand, Cinderella had lived for such a long time in ashes and sadness, and now she was in splendor and joy. But when midnight came before the clock struck twelve, she stood up and bowed goodbye. Even though the prince begged and begged, she refused to remain any longer. Well, the mom didn't say that there were any conditions, like it only lasts a certain amount of time, the wishes that I bestow upon you. It was just the pigeons. Just going to trust some pigeons over your dead mom, who now we know actually does have magical powers in death. And even if the clothes go back to normal or something, that's probably fine. Stay, stay with the prince. Isn't that better? You're still just as beautiful as you were. You, she, the wish didn't make her any more beautiful. He's not fallen in love with the clothes. He's fallen in love with, with the woman. 
Just stay there. Let the clothes go back to normal. Then he'll just say, great, you live here now. That was weird that your clothes just dissolved. But you know what? Not a problem. You live here now. Welcome. You're my bride. In any event, we continue. So the prince led her down the stairs. The carriage was below and waiting for her, and it drove off in splendor as it had come. When Cinderella arrived home, she went once again to the little tree on her mother's grave. Shake and wobble, little tree, take these clothes back from me. So they didn't even dissolve. Like they do in other versions of the story. She literally just like gave them back to the tree. And what about the servants and the carriage and all that? In other versions of Cinderella, the those are transformed like mice. And the pumpkin, I think, becomes the carriage. But here they just come out of nothing. They just appear out of the middle of nowhere. What about them? Do they have to go back into the little tree? Unclear. Then the tree took the clothes, and Cinderella had her gray smock on again. And she returned to the kitchen with it, put some dust on her face, and laid down to sleep. In the morning, the sisters came. They looked morose and kept quiet. They stayed out all night? So that means they stayed out all night. What did they do for the rest of the night? She left at midnight. This is this an all-nighter? An all-nighter of a ball? Just have a total rager of a ball? All right. Then Cinderella said, You must have had an enjoyable time last night. I wonder if that's a dig at the fact that they were gone all night. Got up to some, some shenanigans. No, a princess was there, and the prince almost always danced with her. Nobody had ever seen her or knew where she came from. Was it perhaps the lady who arrived in the splendid carriage pulled by six black horses? Cinderella asked. What are you doing, Cinderella? How do you know this? As I was standing in the entrance to the house, I saw her drive by. In the future, stay inside working, said the eldest sister, who looked angrily at Cinderella. What business do you have to stand in the entrance to the house? My god, guys. Give her a break. She can't stand under a doorway. For a third time, Cinderella had to dress up the two sisters, and as a reward, they gave her a bowl with peas that she was to sort. Peas again. And don't you dare to leave your work, the eldest daughter cried out to her. Cinderella thought, if only my pigeons will return, and her heart beat anxiously until the pigeons came as they had the previous night, and said, Cinderella, do you want us to sort the peas? Yes. The good ones for the little pot, the bad ones for your little crop. Once more, the pigeons pecked the bad ones out, and once they were finished, they said, Cinderella, shake the little tree. It will throw down even more beautiful clothes. Go to the ball, but take care that you return before midnight. The first night, there was no real hard, hard deadline or reason why she had to return before midnight. She just gave the, the clothes back herself. Maybe the pigeons know that it's not going to stick, like the connection with the prince, unless she goes back multiple nights. As to like repeated, repeated appearances before that, that connection is really there. Maybe these pigeons have some sort of understanding on attraction and psychology. Going to have to go with that. I'm going to choose to believe that. Cinderella went to her mother's grave. Shake and wobble, little tree, let beautiful clothes fall down to me. 
Then a dress fell down, and it was even more glorious and splendid than the previous one. It was made out of gold and precious gems. In addition, there were golden gusseted stockings and gold slippers. Ah, so it's gold slippers. Or usually in other stories, it's a glass slipper. And after Cinderella was completely dressed, she glistened really like the sun at midday. A carriage drawn by six white horses that had plumes on their heads stopped in front of the house and the servants were dressed in red and gold. When Cinderella arrived, the prince was already on the stairs and led her into the ballroom. And if everyone had been astonished by her beauty the day before, they were even more astounded this evening. And the sisters stood in a corner and were pale with envy. If they had known that it was Cinderella, who was supposed to be at home in the ashes, they would have died of envy. Now the prince wanted to know who the strange princess was, where she had come from, and where she drove off to. So he had people stationed on the road, and they were to pay attention to her whereabouts. So the prince is positioning spies all over the place. Moreover, he had the stairs painted with black pitch, so that she wouldn't be able to run so fast. Okay, now it's getting a little creepy. Cinderella danced and danced with the prince and was filled with so much joy that she didn't think about midnight. All of a sudden, as she was in the middle of a dance, she heard the clock begin to strike. She was reminded of the pigeon's warning and was terrified. So she rushed to the door and flew down the stairs. However, since they were covered with pitch, one of her golden slippers got caught and Cinderella didn't stop to take it with her out of fear. Indeed, just as she reached the last step of the stairs... The clock struck twelve. Consequently, the carriage and horses disappeared, and Cinderella stood in her gray smock on the dark road. So they did dissolve and disappear into nothing, and her clothes just became her normal gray smock. In the meantime, the prince had rushed after her, and he found the golden slipper on the steps. He pulled it from the pitch and carried it with him. But by the time he made it down the stairs, everything had disappeared. Even the people who had stood guard came and said that they had seen nothing. How had they seen nothing? An entire carriage and six horses and a bunch of servants disappeared at the bottom of the entryway stairs. And also, the girl that was running down the stairs, her clothes just completely transformed around her into a gray smock. How does no one see that? We literally have it established previously that there are people positioned on the road to monitor her whereabouts. And even if just normal guards were on the stairs, which they would be, and, you know, it's a kingdom, you gotta have guards at the entrance along the stairs, and our girl comes running down, the girl, like the person who the prince is super into and paying a bunch of, ten a bunch of attention to, she's running down the stairs, no one turns to watch, there would have been a whole host of people who would have seen the carriage disappear and seen this girl had her clothes just transform around her. She's still just, at that point, she's just standing on the last step. She's just standing in the middle of the road. There's no way people would have seen nothing. They're like, yeah, this crazy thing happened. The carriage that that girl you're super into came in on just vanished into thin air. She was still there, though. She, she, it was weird. She was standing on the last step, and then her clothes just completely transformed into gray. Then she just, like, ran off, I guess. And we let her, because we didn't really know what was going on. Kind of confused by the whole ordeal. So we were just stunned. 
That would be more reasonable. There's no way that they saw nothing. Also, does that mean that she now just has to, like, walk home? I don't know. This is messy. We continue. Cinderella was glad that nothing worse had happened, and she went home. Once there, she turned on her dim oil lamp, hung it in the chimney, and laid herself down in the ashes. It didn't take long before the two sisters also returned and called out, Cinderella, get up and light the way. Cinderella yawned and pretended that she had been wakened from her sleep as she showed them the way she heard one of the sisters say, God knows who the presumable princess is if she were only in her grave. The prince danced just with her alone, and after she had gone, he didn't want to remain, and the entire ball came to an end. It was really as if all the lights had suddenly been blown out, the other said. Meanwhile, the prince was thinking, If everything else has gone wrong for you, now the slipper will help you find your bride. So he had a proclamation announced and declared that whichever maiden's foot fit the golden slipper was to become his wife. But the slipper was much too small for anyone who tried it on. Indeed, many couldn't even slip their foot into the slipper, and couldn't have done so even if the single slipper were two. So they're saying that Cinderella's feet are less than half the size of a normal person's foot? That's creepy as hell. Another problem that I always had with Cinderella, why is foot size supposed to be like a determining factor, a way of identifying someone? He's seen her face. He knows what she looks like. Feet are not that different in terms of foot sizes. Pretty much everyone in the world is between a size 4 and 11 or 12, let's say. The vast majority of people are in that range. So it's a terrible way of finding someone, whoever can fit into this. But I guess in this particular circumstance, if Cinderella literally has feet half the size of anyone else in town, maybe that's, maybe that's why he thinks it's a, it's a more, more viable solution here. He found the slipper and was like, man, this thing is tiny. How did you even manage to stay up and dance with me, be able to balance on these nubs of feet? Regardless, we continue. Finally, it was the turn of the two sisters to take the test. They were glad because they had small, beautiful feet and believed that it couldn't go wrong for them and that the prince should have gone to them right away. Listen, said the mother secretly, here's a knife. If the slipper is still too tight for you, then cut off a piece of your foot. It will hurt a bit, but what does that matter? It will soon pass, and one of you will become queen. Man, that's bleak. At least she's sort of honest, albeit very understated, saying it will hurt a bit. Yeah, you cut a piece of your foot off, it's going to hurt a little more than a bit. So the eldest sister went into the chamber and tried on the slipper. Her toes slipped inside, but her heel was too large. So she took the knife and cut off a part of her heel ugh, until she could force her foot into the slipper. Ugh. So she was able to do this in private? Why wouldn't he have them just do it in front of him? Eliminate these shenanigans. Seems like you're inviting some sort of, you know, shadiness by saying, like, okay, take the slipper, go, go, go into privacy and make it work. Then she went out to the chamber to the prince, and when he saw that she had the slipper on her foot, he said that she was to be his bride. It's not even going to second-guess it, not even going to look at the face, be like, well, you don't really look like the person I remember. This is all it took. Then he led her to his carriage and wanted to drive off. Yeah, he wants to make moves fast, clearly. However, 
When he came to the gate, the pigeons were above, and called out, Looky, look, look, at the shoe that she took. There's blood all over. The shoe's too small. She's not the bride that you met at the ball. The prince leaned over and saw that blood was spilling out of the slipper, and he realized that he had been deceived. There's literally blood spilling out of the slipper. How do you not notice that immediately? So he brought the false bride back to the house. However, the mother said to her second daughter, Take the slipper, and if it's too short for you, then cut off one of your toes. So the sister took the slipper into the chamber, and since her foot was too large, she bit her lips and cut off a large part of her toes. Again, especially after what just happened, don't let them take it into a private chamber. Or at least check them for a knife or something beforehand. Then she quickly slipped her foot into the slipper and came out of her chamber. Since the prince thought she was the right bride, he wanted to drive off with her. Again, not even questioning it. This is ridiculous, especially after what just happened. Maybe give it a minute, see if there's some blood after a while. However, when she came to the gate, the pigeons called out again. Looky, look, look at the shoe that she took. There's blood all over, and the shoe's too small. She's not the bride you met at the ball. The prince looked down and saw that the stockings of the bride were colored red, and that her blood was streaming out of the slipper. The phrase streaming, that choice of word implies a lot of blood. This prince is oblivious. Maybe he. this is just the standard of how little attention he's paying to things in general, in which case, yeah, maybe I guess he's not really going to recognize the, the woman by just her face, so he needs this weird whole roundabout objective facts of the slipper, even though it's definitely an imperfect system, as we see. So the prince brought her to her mother and said, she too is not the right bride, but is there another daughter in your house? He doesn't seem at all annoyed that they're trying to trick him, or that they're hurting themselves to do it. Like, guys, settle down. This is, this is ridiculous. He doesn't seem bothered at all by the fact that they're literally maiming themselves to try to, to try to fulfill this. So he asks if there's another daughter in the house. No, said the mother. She's just a nasty Cinderella. She sits below in the ashes. I'm sure the slipper won't fit her. <laughs> so she's really trying to shoo this away. Just like, oh yeah, she sits downstairs in the ashes because the ashes are the only way that her f- tiny feet get enough traction and that she can stand. We continue. The mother didn't want to have her summoned, but the prince demanded that she do so. Therefore, Cinderella was alerted, and when she heard that the prince was there, she washed her face and hands quickly so that they were fresh and clean. When she entered the room, she curtsied. Then the prince handed her the golden slipper and said, Try it on. If it fits, you'll become my wife. And again, zero regard for the face or any other features whatsoever. He didn't even think like, oh, she kind of looks similar. No mention of even hair color. Come on, guy. So Cinderella took off the heavy shoe from her left foot and put this foot into the golden slipper. And after she pressed a bit, her foot fit as though the slipper had been made for her. And when she stood up, the prince looked at her face and recognized the beautiful princess once again and cried, this is the right bride. So only then did he recognize her face. I guess he was so distraught that he just couldn't see straight or think clearly anymore. The stepmother and the two haughty sisters were horrified and became pale. 
but the prince led Cinderella away. He helped her into the carriage, and as they drove off through the gate, the pigeons called out, Looky, look, look, there's no blood at all. The golden shoe's a perfect fit. She's truly the bride you met at the ball. The end. It's kind of interesting that this is one of the ones that stuck and became such a classic, because after reading through it, it doesn't necessarily stand out as being particularly great, as being so much greater than the other ones that we've read. I guess it's a bit cleaner, and there's a bit... You can, you can sort of do more to, to clean it up and make it nicer and more aesthetically pleasing with the ball and the clothes. and So I guess, I guess aesthetically, you can sort of round out the edges and make it work more and make more adaptations. And I guess that's what they did. But the story itself, not exceptional in terms of really anything compared to previous stories. What's the lesson of this, though? There really doesn't seem to be a clear lesson just looked it up and it says Cinderella teaches the morals of kindness towards all, forgiving others for doing wrong, and never letting bad things ruin your heart. The themes of the story are good versus evil and luck changing your life. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. First of all, kindness towards all. Like, yeah, Cinderella is nice, but she lets people walk all over her. And also, it's not the niceness that has anything to do with why she ultimately comes out on top. It's The kindness has no effect on her ultimately getting her dreams. Forgiving others for doing wrong? I mean, I, I don't see why they should be forgiven, first of all. They don't seem to have learned their lesson in any way. They're, just, they're still super bitter and resentful that Cinderella got to be the princess. And there's also nothing explicitly saying that Cinderella forgave them. I guess she just takes all the punishment that they give her and presumably, I guess, forgives them for doing so. I don't know why, though. It's not a good lesson. We shouldn't be training people to behave this way, to just take the punishment that other people dole out. Especially in cruel, needless, nonsensical punishment. No, I don't, I don't like that lesson at all. Never letting bad things ruin your heart. Now, that is a good lesson. That one I can get behind here. There's a lot of terrible things happening, and she never is really corrupted by that or becomes bitter in any way. Although maybe if she did, she would be looking harder to find other solutions to actually get out of this terrible situation. So, I do like the never letting bad things ruin your heart, but there's also kind of a complacency that they seem to that seems to be implied here. So the themes are good versus evil, and luck changing your life. First of all, I don't like the lesson of luck changing your life. Like, yes, luck can change your life, but you've still got to work towards creating that luck and putting the system, putting the infrastructure in place so that when that lucky chance comes along, it'll actually stick and you'll, you'll manage to change your life. This is just, this is just chaos. And all of the luck is totally out of her control. So it's the pigeons that tell her what to do. She is pretty pretty inactive. She's, she's very passive in terms of being a protagonist. The pigeons tell her to use the tree. She never thinks to use that tree. She literally never thinks to use the magic tree that her mother gave her when she died. And when she does finally use it, she literally uses it to get nice clothes. Nice clothes that are going to disappear at midnight. 
There are no boundaries placed on the tree when the mom tells her about the tree. She should be doing whatever she can to figure out the boundaries of that tree and trying to improve her situation through that tree. Or just putting her foot down, maybe standing up to the bullies. Bullies like to bully people who they know aren't going to fight back. So fight back, Cinderella. And again, where the hell is your dad? Dad is not blameless here either for this whole situation. So not a fan of the intended lessons or the, what are being reported as the lessons of Cinderella. I think the real lesson of Cinderella is be more proactive in terms of getting yourself out of a terrible situation. Be proactive. Don't be passive. And think about all of the tools at your disposal. If you've got a magic tree, use it. And be creative about how you use it. Don't just wait for someone else, a bunch of pigeons, to tell you what to do to get yourself out of the situation. And this isn't really a clear path out of the situation. It's just to go to the ball. What if the prince hadn't taken a shine to her, and she hadn't been the most beautiful person, and they hadn't hit it off so well? Then she just gets a couple nights at a party and goes back to being Cinderella, picking peas out of the ashes. So I don't think this is an empowering story. I don't think being so passive and accepting all the punishment and not literally taking zero steps towards trying to get yourself out of a bad situation, I don't like that lesson. So the real lesson, be proactive in terms of improving your life and use all of the tools at your disposal. Don't be like Cinderella. That's the lesson here. This is a cautionary tale, if anything. Don't be like Cinderella. All right. So that was a bit of a longer one. But we're still going to adapt this. Going to adapt it modern day. We're not going to have a grand ball. We're not going to have a prince. We're going to get dark with it. So Aubrey Plaza is Cinderella. She and her mother, who's played by Mia Jovovich. Mia Jovovich. Not entirely sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but they're mother-daughter. I know Mila Jovovich is not that much older, so we'll just make her look older through like makeup and stuff to so that she can be Aubrey Plaza's mother. Aubrey Plaza and Mia Jovovich are living in this semi-dystopian near future where different gangs and mobs and groups sort of battle one another and for, for supremacy and for territory. And so they're like this duo of, of fighters and they, they run this sort of sort of fighting academy, let, let's say, for women. and Or just for anyone. Fighting academy for anyone. And Mia Jovovich owns it, and Aubrey Plaza is her daughter and her, her best student. And so they're training their people to, you know, stand up for what's right and what's good. And they're the, the morally moral center. They're, they're the good guys. Then in Act 1, another clan attacks them. In their like dojo, their fight club, their in their headquarters, and that clan is led by Charlize Theron, and her two most valued and and skilled underlings are who will be basically like the stepsisters. They are Tiffany Haddish and Whitney Cummings, and I'm just thinking of two people who will be able to talk shit and just berate Aubrey Plaza in an entertaining way. And I think they'd be fantastic at that. So Charlize Theron and her whole clan, including Tiffany Haddish and Winnie Cummings, they attack the headquarters of Mia Jovovich and Aubrey Plaza's group. They wipe them out nearly 
and kill Mia Jovovich. But they leave Aubrey Plaza alive, since she's sort of the star student and the daughter of the, of the leader of this clan. They keep Aubrey Plaza alive as a trophy, but they make, make her a servant, basically. So it's a power move. They wipe out the entire clan except this one person who is now their servant. And they treat her terribly, and they now have taken over the headquarters, and they're doing a bunch of evil operations out of there. And Aubrey Plaza, they just she has to clean everything, and they're constantly beating up on her and using her as a punching bag. And let's say in the evening they just take a punching bag and they'll cut it open and all the sand falls out and they make Arbly Plaza pick up the sand and put it back in the bag and sew it up again. That'll be our analog for the peas in the ashes. Nonsense. And then so one day there is a grand tournament announced and the clan who's sort of the, the king clan, they kind of run everything or at least have the most prestige and the most power and they are run by... Someone in the place of the prince run by, let's say, Daniel Craig. He'd be cool as hell in that role. He's like the leader of the most powerful clan. And he says he's organizing a fighting tournament. And whoever wins will be the chief general of his royal security guard. And they'll have a position of great honor and power and influence. Obviously, Charlize Theron and Tiffany Haddish and Whitney Cummings and that whole clan... They enter the tournament, but of course, Aubrey Plaza is not allowed to because she's just stashed away and treated like crap in, in the headquarters. Let's also say that a black cat hangs around the headquarters and has sort of always been there, sort of a stray cat. But Aubrey Plaza has a relationship with the cat, a connection to the cat. Cat's kind of her only friend. So she talks to the cat, bemoans her situation and how terrible it is. And then on the first night of the tournament, the Cat sort of saunters in as Aubrey Plaza is picking up all the sand and putting it back into the into the punching bag. And she looks behind and is horrified to see this thick line of ants just following behind the black cat. She jumps back, but then sees that the cat looks very calm and the ants just start sort of descending on the sand and the bag. And it's kind of gross because, you know, ants are not great, especially when they're inside, but it's it's a dark dystopian tale, so it works. It works. And then the ants just descend on the sand, and they, they start picking up the pieces and putting them into the into the bag, and before she knows it, the bag is full. She zips them up, and the ants trail away back outside. And then the cat seems to be beckoning for her to follow, and she follows the cat, and it leads her to another punching bag, but it looks it looks different. It looks odd somehow. It looks lumpy. It doesn't look like a normal punching bag. And so she opens it up, and that's where she sees this just epic, super sleek, dark, tactical fighting outfit. And when she puts it on, a black sort of charcoal makeup seems to just naturally extend and stretch over over up her neck and over her face and creates this almost day of the dead style mask just paints it on her skin so she is unrecognizable so i'm just picturing a hero shot of her in this sleek black fighting outfit with this white and silver day of the dead mask painted across her face and she knows i'm going to that fighting tournament and i'm gonna win and then she walks with a cat to the front door where she sees waiting for her 
just a super slick black motorcycle. And she shares a look with the cat like, nice. She hops on, zips away into the darkness. She shows up at the tournament, and who is she matched up with for the first tournament fight? Then Whitney Cummings, who she promptly kicks her ass, but then must escape so that she gets back home before they do. Then that same thing happens the next night. Of course, she fights Tiffany Haddish, and then that same thing happens the following night. And who is she matched up with? The final two of the tournament is her and Charlize Theron. And after a dramatic, hard-fought battle, she finally beats Charlize Theron with a just strike, just a blow straight to the chest with an open hand, like like the five-point palm technique of legend. Just boom, a blow straight to the chest. So hard that it leaves a mark, a perfect outline of her hand. And not moments later, then she wins. Then the entire tournament is attacked by a rival clan. The clan that means to to finally kill Daniel Craig and take out his all-powerful clan. And so they all have to escape, they all have to run away. Arbut Plaza manages to get back to the headquarters just before just before everyone else gets back, or Tiffany Haddish and Winnie Cummings, now that Charlie's is like dead. And then Daniel Craig realizes he needs to find this person. He doesn't know who she is, but he has that impression. He has that that mark on Charlie's Theron. He can match the handprint. And so he goes all around to match the handprint, finally coming to the headquarters where Aubrey Plaza is, and he sees her in the back after everyone else fails to, to match up to the handprint. You know what? Let's say there's some type of scar or there's something on Aubrey Plaza's hand. There's some type of like moon-shaped scar from when she was younger in training. Something something happened. So there's like a moon-shaped scar, and even that is in the impression, in the handprint that was left on Charlize Theron. And so he asked to see Aubrey Plaza's hand, and he sees the scar, and she holds and he holds it up to the mark. Of course, they've like taken a photo or something. It's not they're not like carrying around Charlize's body. And so they hold it up to the photo, and it's a match. And he knows. This is the winner of the tournament. This is his new second-in-command. And after a short period of time, he announces, I wasn't just looking for a second-in-command, I was looking for a successor who I thought would be worthy, and I see that your heart is true, and so my all-powerful clan is now under your control. You, Aubrey Plaza, are the queen of the universe. This terrifying, hellscape, dystopian universe. The end. So there we go. We turned Cinderella into a badass semi-dystopian action movie. I'm into it. Let's do it. Contact everyone I just mentioned. Let's make it happen. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. I know you've got your own adaptation ideas. Get weird with it. Get wild with it. Send those to me on Twitter or Instagram. would love to see those. You can also check out the Shadow Bear website, shadowbearstorysessions.com. You can donate there, which would be greatly appreciated. You can also just give me some feedback. would love to hear any suggestions or just thoughts in general, things you like, things you don't like. And yeah, that'll do it for this week's episode. Next week, we have a story titled... Oh, hell yeah. This story is titled... How Some Children Played at Slaughtering. 
The imagination runs wild with how gruesome and how insane this is going to be. So come on back next week for that. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. <laughs>